Well, folks, we are still in Galatians and uh, going through the fruit of the Spirit, one by one. <laughs> and I figured it was worth doing that. And uh, so today we're up to the fruit of goodness. You know, there, there are a number of examples in the Bible of people who had, because of their relationship with God, goodness as part of their character. Now, we're not talking about people being basically good, because the Bible says that men are basically wicked. Jeremiah 17, 9, the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? Also, Jeremiah, uh, in the, the KJV, it says the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Mark 10, 18 says, why do you call me good? Jesus answered, no, it is good except God alone. Of course, <laughs> basically they found out he, he was talking about himself. Yes, he actually is good. Jesus was the only one who can call himself good. But when a man has believed on the Lord Jesus Christ and been born again of the Holy Spirit, he's changed. He then begins to show the fruit of the Spirit and one attribute of which is goodness. When men put their faith in God, his character shows through their lives in righteousness, truth, and goodness. Now, there are two men that I can remember that I want to focus on who, whom the Bible specifically states that had goodness as part of their character. The first one is Abel, son of Adam. He's called a righteous man. And, of course, a righteous man is a man who is right or good. Hebrews 11.4 says, By faith Abel offered God a better sacrifice than Cain did. By faith he was commended as a righteous man when God spoke well of his offerings. And by faith he still speaks, even though he is dead. You know, as we see from the short life of Abel, a good man is a man of obedience and faith. Abel brought a blood sacrifice that he knew God wanted. Cain didn't. An obedient son is called a good son. A disobedient son is called an evil son. God saw the faith of Abel that caused him to be obedient to God. Adam and Eve, his mother and father, had disobeyed God. Abel was the first man to obey God fully, when you think about it. And by that faith, his righteousness still speaks today. The story of Cain and Abel is a story of one who was obedient and one who was disobedient. You know, it's the story of one son who, when God commended him for his obedience, continued to walk with God. And one son who, when disciplined by God, further rebelled and became the first murderer in the history of mankind. Isn't that always the case? People who rebel often go into further rebellion if they don't turn and repent. So in this one story, we have the knowledge of good and evil showing itself in one man who chose to follow God and one who chose to follow sin. The blood of Abel crying out from the ground was ultimately answered in the sacrifice of God's only son, Jesus Christ, in his death on the cross to purchase pardon for all sinners 
who would place their faith in him, just as Abel placed his faith in God. Well, the second man that is mentioned as being good is Barnabas. Acts 11, 22 through 24 says, news of this reached the ears of the church at Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he arrived, he saw the evidence of the grace of God. He was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. That's what happens when those who have the Holy Spirit are practicing what they're supposed to be doing. And one of those things is goodness. The marks of goodness in the life of uh, Barnabas were that he was, number one, joyful. Number two, an encourager. Number three, full of the Holy Spirit. Number four, full of faith. And number five, a witness of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, as we've already studied, one of the fruit of the Spirit is joy. Barnabas was glad at what he found among the believers, the Gentiles at Antioch. Barnabas was an encourager, urging them to remain true to the Lord. That's called discipleship. And that's what we're doing in this Bible study. You know, no man can be called good without the Holy Spirit. And Barnabas was called good because he was full of the Spirit. He was also full of faith. His faith overflowed in the sight of men, so much so that many placed their faith in Jesus Christ because of his witness. Well, that's the way we ought to be as well. Let's look at some other evidences of a good man that are, found, that are to be found in Proverbs and Matthew. Proverbs 12, 2 says, A good man obtains favor from the Lord, but the Lord condemns a crafty man. A good man is blessed by the Lord. A crafty or devious man, one who schemes and makes plans to help only himself, is not a good man. Men's schemes will ultimately lead to, the, to judgment from the Lord. But goodness leads to God's favor. Proverbs 13.22 says, A good man leaves an inheritance for his children's children, but a sinner's wealth is stored up for the righteous. When a man takes care of his family, he will be seen among men as being good. Ultimately, the wealth of the crafty sinner will belong to the righteous. If not in this life, then certainly in the new heaven and new earth, because a good man lays up his treasure in heaven. Proverbs 14, 14 says the faithless will be fully repaid for their ways and the good man rewarded for his. Those who have faith will be rewarded. Those who are faithless will be repaid often right here and now. The Bible says that hypocrites have their reward in full here on earth. Those of faith often give up their reward now for a heavenly reward that will last for eternity. That's what we're all depending on, is that heavenly reward. Matthew 12, 35 says, The good man brings good things out of the good stored up in him, 
and the evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in him. Notice that there's no gray area there, is there? There's no gray area with God. A good way to recognize a good man is to see what comes out of his mouth. The mouth is a rudder that's impossible to steer without the help of the Holy Spirit. If a man doesn't have control of his tongue, then the chances are pretty good that he's not in submission to the Spirit. Well, let me give you some examples of goodness in modern life. Uh, some stories here. You know, sometimes when you decide to do something good for someone else, it spreads out to many more people and will affect your own life as well. This story was called Tombstone Generosity. A, to a tombstone cutter was busy in his shop when his friend dropped in for a visit. The friend, while looking about the shop, noticed a headstone, which had been there for several years. The inscription had been cut on it, but the words were useless for the stone had been in storage all that time. Curious, the friend asked why. The, uh, he asked why. Well, the people who ordered it were not able to pay for it, replied the tombstone cutter. And it stays here until they bring the money. But what good is it doing you here, the friend asked. Well, no good, no good at all, he replied with some anger. Well, then, continued his, if, his friends, if those folks haven't been able to pay for it yet for years, your chances of collecting are pretty slim. Did it ever, did it ever occur to you that you might place that stone where it belongs? At least it will be doing some good. It just takes up valuable room here. Well, that's poor business, was the curt comment of the stone cutter. It's never per, poor business to be kind to people and to go out of your way to help people who are in trouble. Having said this, the friend walked out of the shop. A month passed before he returned to that shop and he looked around the room and discovered that the stone was gone. Well, I see you got rid of that stone, he commented. Did they pay, pay you for it? No, replied the stone cutter. But I placed the stone where it belongs anyhow. That's poor business, reminded his friend with a smile. I know it is, replied the stone cutter. But after your last visit here, my conscience started to torment me about it. I got to putting myself in the family's place, for I know that they hadn't had the money to pay for it. Every time I came into the shop, that white stone haunted me like a ghost until finally I took it out and put it where it really belongs. Then afterwards, when I found out how happy it made the family, I lost my head completely. How? Well, yesterday when they came in here to pay me for the stone, you know what I did? I refused the money. That's how foolish I'm getting to be. Foolish? I wonder, replied his friend. You know, unfortunately today in our modern world, being a good Samaritan is not often rewarded. Instead, people are sometimes rewarded for not helping at all. And that's the bad thing. Well, here's a story called Am I My Brother's Keeper? In 1928, a very interesting case came up before the courts of the state of Massachusetts. 
It concerned a man who had been walking on a boat dock when suddenly he tripped over a rope and fell into the cold, deep water of an ocean bay. He came up sputtering and yelling for help and then sank again, obviously in trouble. His friends were too far away to get to him, but only a few yards away on another dock was a young man sprawled on a deck chair, sunbathing. The desperate man shouted, help, I can't swim. The young man, an excellent swimmer, only turned his head to watch the man floundering in the water, sank, came up sputtering in total panic, and then disappeared forever. The family of the drowned man was so upset by that display of callous indifference that they sued the sunbather. They lost. The court reluctantly ruled that the man on the deck had no legal responsibility whatever to try and save the other man's life. In effect, the law agrees with Cain's preposition. I, I am not my brother's keeper, and I have every legal right to mind my own business and refuse to become involved. Oh boy. Unfortunately, that's a symptom of our modern society today. Abel is called a good and righteous man. Even in this story, Cain is called an unrighteous man who did not care for his brother, but instead killed him. Those two brothers' attitudes and actions live on even till today. Sometimes returning good for evil can have amazing results. There's a story, according to the Associated Press, in September 1994, Cindy Hartman of Conway, uh, Arkansas, walked into her house to answer the phone and was confronted by a burglar. He ripped the phone cord out of the wall and ordered her into a closet. Hartman brought, dropped to her knees and asked the burglar if she could pray for him. I want you to know that God loves you and I forgive you, she said. <laughs> the burglar was amazed and apologized for what he had done. Then he yelled out the door to a woman in a pickup truck. We've got to unload all this stuff. This is a Christian home and a Christian family. We can't do this to them. As Hartman remained on her knees, the burglar returned furniture he had taken from her home. Then he took the bullets out of his gun, handed the gun to Hartman, and walked out the door. You know what? Praying for our enemies can disarm, disarm the worst of sinners. We don't curse. We pray for our enemies. Because our job is to reconcile people to Jesus Christ. This story is called Total Commitment. The mother of the family was celebrating a birthday and the rest of the family was treating her to a party. When the time for the presentation of gifts arrived, she was instructed to sit in her favorite living room chair. One by one, the father and two older children came in from the kitchen, bearing their gifts in a tray, solemnly presenting them to her as to royalty. The smallest girl, really too little to have had much of a role in the gift selection, had been left out of those joyous plans. But watching the process, she rose to the occasion. For when the others thought the party was over, she appeared from the kitchen, bearing an empty tray. 
Approaching her mother, she placed the tray on the floor, stepped upon it herself, and with a childish wiggle of joy said, Mommy, I give you me. You know, this story is a, is, is a cute one, and it illustrates a good point, though. The good things we do are not to earn our way to heaven, because they cannot. The good that we think we do should be our gift to the Lord. We offer up our whole lives to the Lord Jesus Christ, a living sacrifice. Romans 12.1 says, Therefore I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God, this is your spiritual act of worship. Holy, good, righteous gifts are a sacrifice pleasing to God. We worship God with our good sacrifices, those that come out of a kind and loving heart and a love for our God. Holy sacrifices are out of thanksgiving for the biggest sacrifice of all, that is Jesus' death on the cross for us. And of course, that's what we ought to be celebrating at Christmas, not just going, running around stores and buying more and more gifts and putting ourselves into debt, <laughs> etc. It should be a time of celebrating the greatest gift of all, who is Jesus, Jesus Christ, the gift that he gave us.